God, as we have heard your word read this morning, center our hearts on you as we prepare to hear what you have to say to us. May the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's passage is one that I believe is familiar to most of us in this room. If Cheryl had suddenly not been able to read the scripture passage for us today, I bet I could have called on any of you to come up and to summarize the Palm Sunday story, and you would have been able to do it just fine. This story of Jesus entering Jerusalem is one of the only stories that appears in all four Gospels in our Bible, and that makes it kind of a big deal. Not even the birth story of Jesus is found in all four of them. We have bits and pieces, but not the entire story can be found in each of the Gospels. But this, the arrival of Jesus to the holy city and then the subsequent events that will happen this week, we can turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and find nearly all of them there. But as with any of the stories that appear in multiple Gospels, we tend to take the highlights or our favorite parts of them and to mix them all together to create a fuller and more spectacular version of the story. There isn't necessarily anything wrong with this, but the reason that we have four different Gospels is because each of them has something specific to offer us and something specific that we should pay attention to. Today we are continuing to follow Jesus in his ministry through the Gospel of Luke. We have been talking this entire Lenten season about how with each passing week, Jesus is growing closer and closer to Jerusalem, back to the epicenter of the Jewish faith. And this week we have finally gotten there. Our passage starts with Jesus getting close to Jerusalem by stopping in the neighboring towns that are found on the Mount of Olives. And before he arrives to Jerusalem itself, he sends two of his followers up ahead into a village to gather his mode of transportation and to bring it back to him. Now there seems to be some careful planning happening here, and there should have been. Tensions would have been running very high among Jesus' group of followers, but tensions would have also been running high amongst the Roman government. The festival of the Passover was about to happen, and this meant that hundreds of thousands of Jews would have been streaming into the city of Jerusalem from all over the country of Israel to celebrate this high and holy day. It is likely that there was maybe a slight feeling of insurrection in the air as the Hebrew people were gathering for Passover, which is the festival where they remember that their God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. It wouldn't have taken much for the group to have decided that they were going to rise up against the Roman government and to take over. So because of that, the Roman government had planned ahead, and there would have been a stronger presence in the city that week by those who would keep things under control. Those in power would be scattered throughout the city as well because they were looking for Jesus and his followers. Jesus was, after all, a good Jewish man, and so he likely would have been making his way into Jerusalem to observe the Passover, and this would have been the perfect opportunity for the Romans to find him and to capture him. Jesus knew this would be the case, which is probably why he sent two of his followers ahead 
to prepare things for his arrival. Not only that, but he told them exactly where to look and exactly what to say when they got to the exact place he told them about. It kind of feels secret agent in nature. The disciples arrived at a designated pickup location. They picked up their item, spoke the secret phrase to whoever was there, and then went on their way with no questions asked. It very well could be that it was God's provision that put the exact thing that the disciples needed in the exact place at the exact time. Or maybe Jesus had been doing a little more planning ahead than the scripture tells us. The disciples return to Jesus, colt at their side, and they prepare it to be ridden. Jesus begins to make his way down the Mount of Olives, and the group of disciples change the tone of this journey from just a simple walk into the city to a procession and then eventually to a parade. They praise God loudly, and they quote Psalm 18 as they shout, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This phrase would have been often used among the Jewish people, but especially during this time of Passover celebration, as people from the countryside would have entered into the city of Jerusalem whenever they would see others that had arrived for the Passover celebration, they would have exchanged this greeting with one another. The second part of the phrase that the disciples and Jesus' followers say also sounds familiar to us. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This phrase has echoes of the words that the multitude of angels spoke to the shepherds when they announced the birth of Jesus. The multitude of disciples, much like the multitude of angels, seems to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the King who is to come. There would have been a large crowd walking in front of and around and behind Jesus as they made their way up to Jerusalem. In the chapters leading to our passage for today, Jesus has done the following things. He has blessed the children, even when the disciples tried to push them away. He has given a blind man back his sight, even when the crowd told the blind man to keep quiet and to let Jesus go on his way. And he has dined with Zacchaeus, even though the crowds had been saying that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and not one of them. In each of these stories, the thing that we see is that there are crowds gathered with the children and the blind man and Zacchaeus. The crowds would have joined together and joined the crowd that was already with Jesus as they made their way towards Jerusalem for the Passover festival. So when we read that the disciples were coming into Jerusalem with Jesus, it wasn't just Jesus in the inner circle of his 12 apostles. There would have been a large crowd of men and women and children who were celebrating Jesus and preparing the way by laying their cloaks on the road. Now as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, he is greeted by some of the Pharisees who warn him to stay quiet. They know that there are eyes everywhere looking for Jesus, and they are worried that they may be caught in the crosshairs if they are found with Jesus as well. They urge him to keep the crowd quiet, but Jesus replies with, if they are silent, the stones will shout out. When Jesus uses this to respond to the Pharisees, he's saying that no matter what anyone tries to do, it won't matter because things are already in motion and can't be stopped. Everything is in place. Everything is lined up, not just on his level, but on a cosmic, universal level. 
Even the natural elements have a part to play in order to bring God's plan to fulfillment. So I wonder if you have noticed what is not in this story. There are a few things that we associate with Palm Sunday that can't be found in Luke's telling of this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We don't have any palm branches being waved, and there aren't shouts of Hosanna from the crowd. But what we do have is a lot more king language, and we see this throughout the entire Gospel of Luke. When the disciples go into the village and they gather the cult, they simply say, the Lord needs it. And this has the same feeling as if they had been given a royal prerogative, who, when there would be a king or an emperor who needed something, a house, a boat, a cult, they would say, the king needs it. And no questions asked, it would have been handed to them. But the disciples say the Lord needs it, and no questions asked. What they ask for is given. In their book titled The Last Week, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg open with this visual. There are two processions entering Jerusalem on a spring day in the year 30. One was a peasant procession, the other an imperial one. Have you ever thought about the fact that there were two parades going on? Here are the two parades that these authors are talking about. Jesus was entering Jerusalem from the eastern side, coming from the Mount of Olives. The city of Jerusalem has several gates around it, and it is likely that he would have come through the east gate. And with Jesus was this ragtag group of people that most of society would never have given the time of day. And Jesus was riding in on a humble, ordinary animal. There was no armor, there were no trumpets, there was no soldiers or swords. His arrival to Jerusalem was smaller in number, but strong in confidence and purpose. But on the other side of the city, the western side, there may have been, and likely was, another procession that was entering Jerusalem about the same time. Because it was the feast of the Passover, the Roman government would have sent thousands of soldiers from the western part of Israel up to Jerusalem to help keep the peace. The city of Jerusalem would have had eight times the number of people in it because of the Passover. That would be like if the city of Waynesboro went from its current population to about the size of Lynchburg, or if Harrisonburg grew eight times its size and went from what it is now to about the size of Richmond. And this all would have happened in a matter of days. So the Romans would have sent soldiers from Caesarea up to Jerusalem to help with crowd control. Leading the soldiers in this military procession from the western side of Jerusalem was Pilate, the Roman governor. They would have entered through the Jaffa Gate, and as they were making their way into the city, they would have landed at the Antonia Fortress, which was the fortress that was built by Herod the Great, whose sole purpose and function was to overlook the Temple Mount and to protect it. Here we have one procession entering in and heading towards a place of worship, and another procession entering in and heading towards a fortress that looks down onto this place of worship. Even the visuals of the map and the layout of the city feel dramatic. Two processions with two leaders, but with two very different motives behind them. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been called Lord and Savior multiple times. But in the Roman culture, the Romans would have also called their king or their emperor Lord and Savior. 
Both of these were proclaiming that their kingdom led to the way of peace, but the definitions of peace and how you get there are also different. There is a clash of kingdoms happening between Caesar and Christ. Caesar's kingdom of peace is based on domination and ruthless power, the same kind of domination and power that Jesus was tempted with and rejected back in Luke chapter 3 when he was in the wilderness with the evil one at the beginning of his ministry. But Jesus' kingdom of peace is based on justice and love and mercy. Pilate's procession embodies the power and glory and violence of the empire that ruled the world. Jesus' procession embodied an alternative vision, a vision of the kingdom of God that includes peace through relationships, love through inclusion, and grace through forgiveness and understanding. Those at the head of these processions that were leading their way into the city wouldn't have agreed on much when it came to the ways that they lived their lives and led their people. But the difference is that Jesus would have at least invited Pilate to come sit at the table. He may have washed his feet. While Pilate will have Jesus put on trial and later will sentence him to death. Two very different processions, two very different approaches, and two very different outcomes. This entire season of Lent, we have been talking about how we as Christ followers need to find ourselves back at the center. We have been hearing stories each week from Jesus who has gone to the circumference of society and encountered people who were on the fringes and gathered them close to him and brought them back to the center of love and grace and acceptance. Even Jesus' movements in the stories that we have heard this season have taken him from being geographically further away from Jerusalem and then leading back to it. This is where it all began for Luke, in Jerusalem, when Jesus was presented at the temple as a newborn and then was later found in the temple talking with the scribes and the Pharisees as a teenager. And now this is where he will spend his final days. As we begin this holy week and begin to end the season of Lent, I hope that we find ourselves with Jesus at the center. We too have arrived in Jerusalem and are making preparations for a high holy day. And as we do, maybe we will keep this image of there being two processions in our mind and we need to decide which we will be a part of. Will we find ourselves in the procession that is letting itself be led by fear of the unknown? Or will we find ourselves in a profession that is in a procession that is willing to step into the unknown? but trust that the God that we worship is guiding us on the journey? Do we find ourselves in the, in the procession that tries to control anything and everything that threatens our comfort zone? Or are we willing to be in the procession that is willing to take risks for the glory of God's kingdom and for the love of humankind? This Holy Week, my friends, I hope that we find ourselves at the center with God and with Jesus as we prepare our hearts. I hope that as we find ourselves reflecting on these final days of Jesus' life, that we reflect on what those days mean for us. May we consider which procession we are in and how we can journey with Jesus to the center, knowing and trusting that God is already there and that God will meet us there just as we are.